Welcome to this episode of Church Grammar. On today's episode, Matt Emerson returns, and we have a little fun today doing a fantasy football, fantasy basketball style draft of patristic theologians. So we have 14 theologians on the board. We take turns drafting and building a team. It's a lot of fun and hopefully something uh, interesting for you as you both have fun along with us, but ultimately learn a little bit more about some of the major church fathers and are encouraged to go read them and find out more for yourself. Today's episode, as always, is brought to you by B&H Academic. Go to bhacademic.com to find out about all of their latest offerings and latest books. We're also brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. Go to csbible.com to find out more about this English translation. Hope you enjoy the draft with Matt Emerson, but first, no big deal. some sort of idea here I've had for a while and I thought who better than to do it with somebody I talk to every day so worst case scenario we can at least make fun of each other and uh, there'll be enough rapport here that we can make up for whatever is uh, terrible about the actual content it's guaranteed that I will make fun of you <laughs> and it's guaranteed that I will make fun of Auburn so it'll work out right all right so uh, here's what we're doing we're going to do basically a uh, patristics fantasy draft so similar to uh, fantasy football or fantasy basketball if you've drafted something like that. So we have a big board of 14 patristic fathers or patristic uh, writers and theologians. And we both have our own big board ranked 1 to 14. Neither of us know what the other person's uh, board is. So that way we don't try to steal from each other or something like that. Uh, Matt told me beforehand that he does not want the first pick because he doesn't want that kind of pressure. I would be terrified if that were the case. Okay, so I'm gonna take. I'll take the first pick, and then what we'll do is uh, just for the listeners, we will alternate picks, and we're basically gonna build uh, a team of seven church fathers on each side. And I'm gonna do as many sports jokes and puns as possible, but I have a feeling I'm gonna run out pretty quickly. So, all right, Matthew, you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. So I'm on the clock with the first overall pick in the 2020 Church Grammar Patristics Fantasy. Theologian <laughs> podcast <laughs> draft. All right. With, the acronym for that. Yeah, I'll, I'll get back to you on that. I'll see if I can put that in there. Uh, okay. So we decided, by the way, that patristics are going to be from uh, 8,100 to 800. Some people say patristic period is from 100 to 600. So we do have uh, one or two names that kind of ride the, the line of the end of the patristic period. But that little overlap between the end and the beginning of medieval is blurry anyway. So we're going to take uh, okay. some license. And the reason I, I kind of pushed on that just so that we could have all seven ecumenical councils. Yeah. Included. Yep. Even though we're Baptist, that's a different, right. that's a different, different conversation, right? Absolutely. All right. So let me read the board of 14 uh, people that we are going to draft from. This will be in a different order than I think either of us would have it. That way we're not tipping anything because secrecy is the key to a good draft, as we all know. All right, so here's the names we have. Hilary of Poitiers, Maximus the Confessor, Origen, Athanasius, Gregory Nazianzus, Gregory of Nyssa, Basil of Caesarea, Irenaeus, uh, Augustine, Cyril of Alexandria, Tertullian, Jerome, John of Damascus, and John Chrysostom. That's our, that's our list of 14. Okay, so now with the first overall pick in the long acronym Fantasy Draft, I'm taking the Magic Johnson, the LeBron James, 
the uh, I don't know who else of patristic period, the great Athanasius of Alexandria. It's my first overall pick. Uh, Matt looks disturbed either because he just lost his best player or he thinks I'm an idiot, but I'll make the case for Athanasius. My case is if I'm building a team, I want the guy who does it all. Okay, so I want my Athanasius as my Magic Johnson. He can play all positions. He can score when you need to, right? He can write some treatises, some, some theological works. If he needs to, uh, you know, get a couple of assists in there, if he needs to run the offense, he can bring the East and West together around Homusias and Nicaea. He can play defense, right? I mean, he's the king of writing against the Arians and, and others. So uh, he is my Lamar Jackson. He can throw the ball. He can run the ball. He can do it all. Athanasius, the quarterback, the point guard, the all-around player of my Patristics draft. Respond, Matthew. I'm real sad because that was my number one pick as well. I kind of felt like it was. That's why I was really happy to have it whenever you were willing to give it to me. Yeah, you know, I just – Athanasius was my entryway, and it probably is the case for a lot of people. He was my entryway into reading early Christian theologians. And uh, you can't beat on the Incarnation, but there's so much more to Athanasius than that. And uh, you get you get hermeneutics, you get Christology, you get Doctrine of the Trinity, uh, you get pastoral concern. So I love, I love old Athy. Well, Athy can do it all, and Athy is on my team. So who do you take with the second overall pick in the Church Grammar Fantasy Draft? You know, I, I could actually say very similar things about this person. Uh, they can do it all. And, in fact, they, they actually do a bit more than Athanasius in terms of what they publish. So I'm going to go with uh, G. Nas, Gregory of Nazianzus. And, uh, you know, I, I, have a, I have a soft spot in my heart for the Cappadocians, um, like Athanasius, they're, they're really one B to Athanasius is one A for me. I, I read Athanasius and those guys all at the same time, uh, with Gregory, he doesn't just write, I mean, we all know five theological orations and if you don't know it, you need to go read it right now and just turn this off and be worth more of your time to go read it than yes. listen to it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, five of your theological orations. Yes. But, um, he also writes poems, uh, that are fantastic. And, and leads you uh, into the presence of Jesus. He's pastoral. Um, he has sermons that you can read that are great examples of patristic interpretation. Uh, and he has other theological works that, that are profitable and orthodox and all that good stuff. So um, to me, Athanasius is 1A and, and Genaz is 1B. So, Yeah, he, I, was, he was my number two as well. So we, we were on the same page on the first two, which is, I think, almost expected at this point. Right. But. Hey, but see, I get two picks now, right? No, we don't. We're not doing the snake draft. Sorry, <laughs> that was a good try. I tried. Sorry, everybody. Yeah, Gregory. I mean, I'm I'm right there with you. I even when I was putting my board together, there was a little bit of conversation in my own mind of which one I was going to pick first. But I just Athanasius was kind of ended up being my default. Uh, but Gregory, man, he's like he's the Cam Newton, the James Harden, you know, minus all the cheating that the both of them did. Um, you know, he, he is, uh, he's, Athena he's Athanasius, but he changed the game, right? He's a little bit, he's a little bit more well-rounded. He kind of took things down the road a little bit further than Athanasius, sort of like some of those guys did in their respective sports. So like Athanasius is shooting threes and Harden is doing step back threes. You know, that's, that's, that's Athanasius and Gregory. That was, that was the real struggle for me in picking between these two is, uh, Athanasius, especially in terms of Christology, you know, his thought is not as well developed as you would get in Gregory of Nazianzus and, and in terms of just, you know, clarification of terms and those sorts of things like with homoousios and with 
the issue of personhood in the Trinity. So it was a tough pick, but I just, you know, they're equal to me. Yeah. It'd be like Larry and Michael doing horse in the McDonald's commercials. You know there you I mean? go. There you go. But then it's then it really comes down to like MJ and LeBron, right? Like at the end of the day, Athanasius really is MJ. We can have the debate, but we're going to yeah, get there. There's no question. And Michael is the is the goat. So just let's not argue. About that's that. actually that's actually less of an argument than Athanasius and Gregory. MJ is obviously the goat. That's not even a conversation. So right, that's fair. All right, so I got the third pick. This one's tough for me because my three and four, I've got pretty close to each other here, and I'm even waffling as I'm looking at the board right now. But I'm going to take Irenaeus with the third overall pick. <laughs> if you guys can see the video, if you guys can see the video, he just I think he just threw something or at least threw his body around in a very angry manner. If you didn't already warn me about all the white noise that's coming from my end, I would have just slammed my desk. Well, the good thing about Skype, uh, doing this on Skype, is that when I'm talking, I think it, it sort of delays it and mutes you out a little bit, so we didn't hear any of that. So, As I say, nearly every hour of every day, I hate you so much. <laughs> now, are you crossing these people off your list, or am I going to have to tell you later when you try to double-pick somebody on accident? I got it. Okay. All right, so my, my case for Irenaeus. Irenaeus is, uh, he's the perfect quarterback. He's the one through whom the whole offense runs. Uh, the a quarterback. I know I do already have it. Well, I, you know I have a Magic Johnson. I won't take. He's not my Lamar Jackson or my Cam Newton. He's my quarterback. He's my uh, he's my Peyton Manning. Okay, he's not as well rounded as some of these other guys. Should have picked a Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> I'm talking about like actual major sports, not senior sports. Okay, so Irenaeus. My argument is uh, for him taking him third overall is the rule of faith. Uh, his argument for the unity of Scripture, uh, even some of his sort of pre-Nicene. Uh, conversations about the Trinity, about the sort of triune doctrine of Scripture, these kind of things that he sets up with his rule of faith, uh, really ends up being the pathway through which many of these other uh, men that we appreciate and love so much, you know, they, they're relying on him uh, significantly. Irenaeus, probably the first one of the early first couple hundred centuries that really does kind of start pulling together a more uh, specific method. Uh, you know, they all have their own methods in their own ways, but Irenaeus really kind of sets the tone. So, so that's why I pick him. He's, he's, uh, he's my Peyton Manning. He's my uh, just. He's just going to run the offense. You know, he's not going to do anything sp super special, not anything crazy. He's just going to knock down some gnostics and uh, set everybody else up. Yeah, you know, maybe. I, I think that on the apostolic preaching is one of the most creative and genuinely genius works of Christian literature. Um, and it, if you want to know how to read the Bible. And I'm not even going to qualify it further. If you want to know how to read the Bible, go read on the apostolic preaching. Mm -hmm. so, my, so my argument for that is I agree with you, although we didn't really even know it existed until fairly recently. So to be Lucky. fair, it didn't have the impact of some of the others. Lucky for us. <laughs> All right. Fourth overall pick, Matthew Emerson. Well, this is a tough one. Uh, uh, man, and I knew this was going to happen right here. I knew that no matter who you picked on number three, I was going to have to make a choice with my numbers three, four, and five, and really six and seven. So like three through seven to me are pretty tight. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think – here. okay, I'm just going to go with what I wrote down, and I'll tell you why. So I won't tell you who else, but I'm going to go with Gregory of Nyssa okay. on this one. And I almost went elsewhere – but I switched it up for Gregory of Nyssa, and here's why. And this may tip my hand a little bit. 
But I think that Gregory, despite all of the criticisms he receives about allegory and the rest, um, shows us what an orthodox and um, philosophically informed allegorical interpretation of scripture can look like. Mm-hmm. Um, so in other words, I'm not, I don't even care if you agree with the concept of allegory or not. Let's just say that you do, you know, you, you have somebody doing allegory. Well, Gregory of Nyssa does it well. So if you, if, it doesn't matter if you agree that you should do it, he's doing it and he's doing it well in terms of, um, understanding philosophy, understanding the Bible in terms of what we talked about with Irenaeus, just seeing it as from beginning to end about Jesus uh, in terms of the senses of Scripture and how they connect to each other. Um, Gregory of Nyssa is an exemplar in my mind of one stream of interpretation that comes out of the patristic period. Well, to uh, to play my hand, I was, I was wrestling with Nissa and Irenaeus as well. So we're still, our boards are still going same direction. Well, look, if you, if you get my fifth pick, then I'm just. <laughs> All right. Yes, I agree with you on Gregory. Uh, you know, he basically invented the term procession for the Holy Spirit. Uh, maybe the clearest teaching on inseparable operations. Some might say Ginas, but uh, by the way, Ginas has a great rap name, which is, you know, we, we forgot to mention. Well, I mean, you can go with Basil and the Cap Daddies, or Basil <laughs> and the Two Gregs. It's even better. It's really it's it's the sky's the limit. Yeah. yeah so Gregory Gregory wrote on resurrection. I mean, a lot of good. Uh, he's good. The catechetical, catechetical discourse that was published by uh, uh, Saint Vladimir's is great. So yeah, I'm with you on that. All right, fifth overall pick. Hey, I should say really quick. Yeah. Gregory of Nyssa often gets just lumped in with dismissals of patristic exegesis. Mm-hmm. But like you said, his doctrinal works are incredibly important in terms of what we consider now to be the orthodox understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity, the development from Nicaea uh, to uh, Constantinople. Um, He is absolutely crucial in terms of the orthodox doctrine of the Trinity. So if you haven't read Gregory of Nyssa's doctrinal works and all you know about him is, you know, some professor's snide dismissal of his hermeneutics uh go read his doctrinal stuff yeah all right fifth overall pick i think i might surprise you a little bit with this one well that means you're just gonna pick who i was gonna pick i don't know i'm gonna i think i might surprise you with this one um if i if i let this guy fall any further the reform bros are gonna be mad at me i'm so mad right now the reform bros with with the tm trademark above it because they are their own brand Oh, wait, no, you're not. Okay, go no. ahead. August, Augustine of Hippo, my right. fifth overall pick. Um, so, I didn't, not my fifth pick. I didn't think you would go there. Um, I think I know where you're, where you're going to go instead, which is fine. That's, I'm, in the, I'm in that same, same boat. But I got to go with Augustine here for a couple of reasons. Frankly, Augustine is not my favorite uh, to read. Uh, I, he's not my favorite to interact with. I much prefer Athanasius and the Cap Daddies and some of the others that we've talked about already. Um, but at the same time, his influence over Western theology is undeniable. Um, the amount of, I, I, I was thinking about who can I compare him to? And I feel like he's maybe like the Bill Belichick of the patristic period, you know, because some love him, some hate him, some really love him, some love him too much, but he's kind of like a step ahead of everybody else. He's the master of everything, right? He writes on the great work on the Trinity uh, great work on politics, great works against Pelagius on the will. I mean, he, he really expands 
does a lot of really good work that expands really meaningfully uh, into Western theology. A lot of people joke that uh, all of Western theology is a footnote to Augustine. Um, and so even the reform bros who don't believe that there was a church before Luther uh, acknowledge Augustine and call him a Calvinist. So, you know, he, he's even made his way into that. So Augustine's my fifth overall pick. He's not my favorite. I don't like to watch his game. Uh, you know, when he's on NBA league pass, he's not my favorite, but I gotta, I gotta appreciate the contribution he made. <laughs> I agree with your assessment. I, I do think, um, like if I'm going to read something on the Trinity, even though Augustine is in many ways, sort of the climax of, of patristic thought on the Trinity, uh, I, I would prefer to read somebody else. Yeah. That's not to say that I don't agree with Augustine or that he's saying anything incorrectly. It's just I don't know. There's something about it. But I'll also say that on Christian teaching and his confessions are just incredible. Um, so I'm, I'm as I was thinking through this list, I, I had to prioritize some things over others. And, and just because of my own interests, I, in general, I think, have ranked these mainly – according to how I've interacted with them in terms of doctrine of the Trinity and, and also doctrine of the descent to the dead. So yeah, that's probably playing into a lot of this for me, but I, I agree. Well, like any good general manager, any good scout, you know, you go after the people that, that I mean, you, you might see a guy and go, look, he's super talented, but he's not for my team, you know, yep. just part of it. Okay. So <laughs> if you want a sports analogy, come on, the next guy on the list for me is Dennis Rodman. <laughs> okay. Uh, he this guy is a Dennis Rodman because he's weird, mm-hmm. he's eccentric. Lots of people don't like him, but he is an absolute baller. The big O. Origin. Let's go. Uh, and, and you know, like Rodman, right? The Bulls don't win the the three peat, the second three peat without Rodman. Mm-hmm. Well, look. The, the the reality is, and th- if you appeased the Reformed bros, I'm about to hack all of them off. <laughs> uh, the reality is that we do not have uh, Nicaea without Origen. And we don't have many of the um, genuinely beautiful and orthodox readings of Scripture that we have in the Patristic period without Origen. Now, of course, that's not to say that Origen doesn't have serious problems in his thought. He does. Just like Rodman, you know, went to Vegas for the weekend and hung out too much. <laughs> Carmen Electra and all that. Okay, Origen also has issues um, and serious ones. They're, they're, not, they're not things to be passed over. But he is absolutely crucial to the success and the development of Nicene Trinitarianism. And, you know, really you can't deal with the – the shape of early Christian theology without dealing with origin. So he's got to be up in the top half of anybody's list, no matter what, in my opinion. Yep. I just looked at our group text. You sent the screenshot of me too. And I'm, I was <laughs> trying to hold up my laugh while you were talking. Um, yeah, he, he, he was not right there for me, but he was one of those ones where when I was building the board, he went up and down on my list several times because of the same thing. I mean, Gregory of Nazianzus calls him the whetstone of us all, right? Kind of says that he is the one, I mean, he's the one who, who in so many ways moves the ball down the field in terms of, of how we get to, like you said, how we get to Nicaea, how we get to some of the hermeneutics. I mean, he is talking about um, economy and substance in ways that others aren't, right? He's talking about uh, Christ being one with the Father in ways that others before him aren't. Uh, you know, there's the, there's the alternate argument that you don't have Arius without Origen either, of course. But 
you know, right. there's, there's a lot of, you can say that about a lot of people. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, he's, he's definitely way overly maligned, I think in evangelicalism. I mean, you talked about Gregory getting grief for, uh, his allegory, Gregory of Nyssa. I mean, origin is just a whole nother level. And if you read his commentary on John, which I think is amazing, you do, I mean, it depends on which passage you're talking about, which time origin sounds like some sort of a pre-subordinationist and when he sounds like a Nicene, you know, pre-Nicene. So, um, he, he's, he's, he's all over the place a little bit, but part of that is, I think we have to give him a little bit of a break for the fact that, uh, he is pre-Nicene. And so he is dealing with these things in some ways for the first time that others aren't. And so he is going to be a little bit sloppier than, you know, Gregory of Nyssa, who has the benefit of being on the other end of it in some ways too. Right. Yeah. And I, I will say just again, I, I want to state it even stronger than I already have. Um, and the linchpin of Nicene Orthodoxy is the doctrine of the eternal relations of origin and you, and specifically the eternal generation or eternal begottenness of the son. And you do not have that in the, in the way that it is discussed by the beginning of the fourth century without origin. Yep. All right. We've defended origin as much as we can, uh, while also not being canceled. Uh, this, if there's a version of a theological cancel culture, it might be our, uh, praise of origin. I'm going to get canceled after this list. There's no doubt. I've picked all Eastern guys so far. I picked, yep. Orton, I picked Gregory of Nyssa. I'm getting canceled. All right. Well, I'm not going to cancel you. If nothing else, we will, we will go on our island together. All right. So uh, I have the, what is this, the seventh overall pick. And I am going to take the next guy on my board, Cyril of Alexandria. So Cyril on the unity of Christ, uh, his work against Nestorius, his work on hypostatic union, uh, his involvement in the Council of Ephesus in 431. I mean, he does um, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, work in terms of moving toward Chalcedon, right? So we, we have Nicaea, we have Constantinople. Then you have Cyril kind of on the other end in his debates with Nestorius and his uh, arguments against Nestorianism and the work that he does. Uh, really, he dies before Chalcedon. I think he dies in 444, 445, you know, not a few years before Chalcedon. But really, uh, the Council of Ephesus and then kind of the final blow uh, to a lot of these Christological heresies at Chalcedon are made possible uh, because of Cyril, because of the work that he does. Yep, Cyril's great. I actually... Considered him putting quite a, uh, putting him quite a bit farther up my board, um, but you for once have not taken one of my top picks. So thank you. <laughs> All right, you have the eighth overall pick, Matthew. Well, look, I mean, I might as well round it out. I'm going to take the last cap on the board, Basil. Right. Yeah, so, uh, I've got all the all, I've got all the cap daddies now. So uh, Basil could say the same thing about him that we've said about Nyssa and Nazianzus and Athanasius as well. Uh, absolutely instrumental in the development um, from Nicaea to Constantinople I, uh, crucial in terms of defending the divinity of the Holy Spirit. He's got some fire sermons on the Psalms that you should go read. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad to have the Cappadocians on my team. I mean, that's, that's like, you know, the best three players you could pick together right yeah. there. Thank you. They've, they've already got team unity. They've already, they've already got, you know, unspoken, ways to pass the ball. And, and, and I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of rep, uh, rapport there already. It's like what the thunder should have been. Yeah. Unfortunately, here we are. Are you a thunder fan? I always forget. I know you're, you're out there by Oklahoma city. Did you sort of semi adopt them? I, I want people that live here to be happy. So yeah. Okay. Sure. All right. Well, I guess that's fair enough. Well, Basil, I, uh, man, Basil was, I'm all over the place with him because 
he was probably second to Athanasius, probably the second father that I read the most of. So Athanasius was kind of my gateway, and then Basil was was right behind him. Uh, his On the Holy Spirit is obviously uh, huge. His work, uh, it's now published, called On the On the Human Condition is what it's called now. Uh, really good on creation and on uh, being made in the image of God and those kind of things. Really super underrated. Um, you know, the thing with Basil is, though, once you read Gregory, the two Gregories, you kind of realize that that they have sort of brought together all the things Basil didn't do. So like Gregory and both Gregories are kind of the true and better Basils in some way. I mean, there's some scholarly arguments about whether or not Basil was, you know, not truly whatever, homoousian or whatever. But um, I think a lot of that's overblown. But you definitely get a lot fuller version of him, even with the two Gregories. Uh, and actually, one of, one of the best things that I think he wrote was uh, Letter 38, which is now attributed to Gregory of Nyssa. So you kind of, he lost one of his, uh, he lost one of his good contributions there. Yeah, I will say again, though, you guys need to go read his sermons on the Psalms, man. They're so good. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to insult him. He's the, he's eighth overall pick, you know, so. I mean, I picked him third out of the caps for a reason. So. Yep, yep. Uh, and if you had asked me maybe like three years ago, I would have definitely picked Basil first. But but once you really get in there, you kind of realize it. So, all right. Um, all right, I got the ninth pick. Let's, let, me, let me recap the top eight so far. Okay, so, uh, or at least we'll, let's recap our team. So I have Athanasius, Irenaeus, Augustine, and Cyril. Okay, so I've got one more in my starting lineup before I go to the bench. You've got Genaz, Genus, Origin, and Basil. Not bad. You got the Cappadocians and Basil. That's a that's a you have yeah you have you have a, a true um, controversial evangelical patristic yeah. team I'm, here. I'm definitely getting canceled by Reformed <laughs> Theo Bros. When they listen to this, all right, they don't they don't listen to stuff that has patristic in the title, so we're fine. <laughs> Except, uh, hey, we love you, Reformed Theo Bros. We 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 in many ways are Reformed Theo Bros. Well, know? don't put that evil on me, buddy. <laughs> All right, all right. So I got to I got to round out my starting lineup here. All right, I got I got my Magic Johnson. This is going to be interesting from here on out. Yep, it's going to yeah, it is. I think too. Uh I don't think you're going to be surprised though with my ninth overall pick being Maximus the Confessor. Uh Maximus uh, on the Cosmic Mystery, one of the best um theological treatises I've read as much as I love Athanasius and the Cappadocians and like you, that's where I default most of the time. Um, I love reading Maximus. Um, I love his work on the cosmic mystery. I love his work on diothelitism. Uh, his, I just started actually for the first time reading his 200 chapters, uh, that's published by St. Vladimir's as well, which is just a, I mean, such a amazing, uh, work. One of the things I'll say though about him, one of my, one of my negatives in my own mind is the fact that he does get the benefit of being after Nicaea, after Constantinople and after Chalcedon. So it's a strength and a weakness, right? I mean, he, he's as good as you would expect him to be in light of where he is in history. But also, you know, like we mentioned already, you have an Athanasius who really is doing all this, a lot of it from scratch. I mean, obviously, he's building on Irenaeus and Origen and even Alexander of Alexandria, his predecessor. But um, so he, he gets the, you know, some of these guys get the bump for doing the real work, whereas Maximus, fantastic, great work, but also relying on the backs of others. So it's kind of like, you know, he's kind of like a LeBron for all the LeBron fans. You know, like you can appreciate LeBron if you were born in his era, but if you don't know what happened before, you don't realize that MJ's better. Right. Yeah, I mean, Maximus is definitely somebody who's standing on the shoulders of giants. But I, I will say that in terms of what he does to defend diothelitism, and also I, I think really a neglected contribution is what he does to center the doctrine of creation on 
the doctrine of Christology, yeah. I think those two things are absolutely crucial to the continued development of Christian doctrine. And so he should, I mean, he's a giant in his own right as well, just, just for those reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Cosmic. I mean, I think that's maybe why I love particularly cosmic mystery so much is, is it's such a well-rounded kind of full-fledged uh, Christology with, like you said, the creation stuff in there. All right. So, so now, okay. now you got your last, this is your last starter. So think about that. You know, it's the guy you want on, you this guy you want out there playing 30, 35 minutes. Right. So maybe 40. Here's the deal. Um, I think that it sounds like I reached down on your board to get Basil, but you have actually reached down on my board with Augustine and with Maximus and Cyril. Now they were still in my top 10. I had Augustine, I had Augustine seventh and then Maximus and Cyril ninth and 10th. So my eighth pick is still on the board. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to go with, uh, Hillary. Okay. of the West. Uh, and you know, there's really one single thing that stands out in my mind with Hillary, which is his opening salvo in on the Trinity on Exodus three. And it is a fantastic example. And really one of, one of the prime examples of what it looks like to interpret scripture theologically. Mm -hmm. So I've picked a Western father here, which, okay, you know, I'm not picking the crazy Eastern fathers, reformed guys, but I am, I am picking a guy who's doing theological interpretation of scriptures and not everybody else's hackles are up. Um, so TIS, you know, I think this is a fantastic example of that. He, he, he walks through Exodus three and the divine name and, you know, just talks about, okay, what does it mean for God to say that I am? Well, this means that he doesn't receive life from anybody but himself. He just is. Okay, well, what does that tell us about his infinity? And what does that tell us about whether or not he can change? And what does that tell us about whether or not he's made of parts? And he never unties his questions from the text. He's asking these questions because he continues to reflect on the text. And so Hillary, to me, is just a, a wonderful, again, example of what it looks like to interpret Scripture theologically. He's not, he's not a... Um, He's not a creative point guard. He's not a quarterback, you know, choosing options. He's not, um, he's not out there doing new things, but he's doing exactly what he should be doing, and he's the best at doing it. So, you know, he's, he's a great fifth man. Uh, he'd be a great, say, I don't know, running back. You just hand him the ball, and he goes with it. Yeah, he's like, a, he's like a, you know, I grew up a Cowboys fan. Emmitt Smith is the all-time leading rusher in the NFL, which makes him – uh, statistically, the best, even though people argue Barry Sanders and others, because they like the support. You know, they like the the highlights. But Emmett Smith, man, if you need three yards, he's going to get you four. If you need five yards, he's going to get you four. If you need eight yards, he's still going to get you four. But he's going to get you four every time. That's Hillary. That's right. There you go. Yep. And like you said, he's the Athanasius of the West. I was thinking, you know, just watch the Last Dance, uh, ten part Jordan documentary, and there's the whole part in there about how they all said that Clyde Drexler was the MJ of the West, and uh, then MJ destroyed him. Yeah, that that's uh, that's Hillary. He's the he's the Clyde Drexler. Hillary is trying to be Athanasius. Well, I mean, that's maybe not historically uh, accurate, but I mean, just in terms of like how he writes, you know, he's doing what he's seen, yeah. but he does yeah. it so well. Yep. Uh, you know, he's not the one who's making it up, uh, you know, who's, who's doing it first, who's doing it better. But in terms of somebody who's trying to imitate uh faithful exegesis of scripture in a theologically orthodox manner, you can't beat Hillary. 
Yep. And he's a man named Hillary, and he pulls it off well. That's right. With one L. All right. Um, You're like you. (laughs) I didn't get confused. (laughs) All right. So he was 13th on my board. So he was was pretty far down there. So you went down to the the bottom of my board there. Uh, Not for any particular reason against not liking him. I mean, you know, just just where it is. Um, All right. So I have two here that are both still on the board, and I'm second-guessing my order. But it gets rough right here. It does. All right. I, I am going to go with Tertullian as my sixth man. So you're, you're pumping your fist, uh, which means you may have the other guy that I didn't have. But I, I actually had Tertullian. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Never mind. Okay, go ahead. Okay. So Tertullian, he is not a saint in the traditions that call father saints because of his questions about subordinationism uh, and other things. Um, I am a little more generous, like I even said, uh, with origin toward pre-Nicene subordinationism. Not that I am fully supportive of it, of course, but, um, you know, Tertullian's writing really, really early, and he is making sense of things really early uh, in ways that pattern later theological reflection. So he gives us both Trinitas and Una Substantia. I mean, that's two pretty pretty, you know, one substance and Trinity are two words that he ends up giving. Now he defines them obviously a little bit differently than homoousios and, and other things, but he is setting up a lot of those things. Not only that, but I appreciate he's sort of the uh, pre-Augustan in the sense that he's writing a lot on ethics as well. He writes on religious liberty in the Roman Empire, why Christians should be able to, you know, uh, practice in the Roman Empire. He writes on marriage and celibacy and things like that. He even writes a a, a treatise on theater and entertainment. So he was like the first guy, uh, maybe like the first uh, I don't know who, who the who the people are in the evangelical circles who say you shouldn't go watch movies, but he was one of the first ones having questions. I don't think he was like the Brett McCracken, you know. I don't think he was like that guy because I don't think he was as pro uh, entertainment and media. But uh, Tertullian was doing that kind of work, so I give him a lot of credit for the uh, for the breadth of apologetics and things that he does on top of on top of some of the early, 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 early kind of pre-Nicene ideas about the Father, Son, and Spirit. Although clearly subordinationism is there by any Nicene measure. Yeah, Tertullian is uh, really crucial in terms of understanding the development of Trinitarian thought in the early church, so you can't can't uh, leave him off the board. I, I almost put him where you had him, but I actually switched him out. So I, if you, if you could see my list, I had written Tertullian at eleven, and then and then crossed him out, and I I changed him out for John of Damascus. Okay, and the reason I changed him out for John of Damascus is because again, I think it's important. And obviously, my, my own interests are showing here where I keep talking about the development of thought and all this sort of thing. I mean, John of Damascus stands at the end of the – towards the end of the line um, in terms of uh, writing uh, on divine images or images of, of divine persons and this sort of thing um, wh- where that's the issue at hand for the Seventh Ecumenical Council, the last Ecumenical Council. Uh, and really, the way that I look at – the seven ecumenical councils, and I'm stealing this from all kinds of people. The one who comes to mind is my sole friend, Luke Stamps. But, um, you know, the fifth, sixth, and uh, seventh ecumenical councils are essentially outworkings of Nicaea and particular Chalcedon, where, okay, if these are the orthodox understandings of Nicaea and Chalcedon, what does that mean for really each of how we talk about each of the natures of Christ. And with John of Damascus's discussion on 
images and whether or not we can make images of Jesus, he's dealing with really the crux of that question. How do you relate the two natures of Christ? And Maximus dealt with it in a different way with the two wills, dialectism. Uh, John Damascus is asking the same question. How do these two natures relate? And what does that mean for this particular question? And so, again, you know, we could say about him what we said about others, which is that he's not really doing much that's new. Um, he's really collating and organizing arguments that already existed prior to him and putting them in an understandable fashion in a way that addresses a pastoral issue of the day. Now, of course, you probably, if you're listening to this, and again, I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, Packing off my uh, Reformed brethren. Um, if you're listening to this and you're Reformed, then you're like, well, why would you even pick him to begin with? Because he's wrong. But I, I don't think that the question is whether or not these people are wrong about anything. It's what they're trying to do. And John is is um, showing us how to think about Christology well. doesn't mean you have to agree with his ultimate conclusion, but it is a, a very careful attempt to understand how the two natures of Christ relate. You know, and he also has a lot of stuff on spirituality, which, again, you probably wouldn't agree with necessarily all of it, but um, it's an important development in the tradition. Yeah, and he's got, um, you know, on top on top of that, like you said, I mean, he, he's also writing against Nestorianism and, and all kinds of different monothelitism, like you said. He's kind of digging back into those but taking them a different way. And a lot of times, you're right, like we read some of these guys completely out of context and kind of forget what they're trying to do in the moment. I mean, John of Damascus, whether, whether or not you agree with some of his views on icons or whatever, on the flip side, uh, if you read the people he's writing against, you realize how incredibly wrong they are about who Christ is, right? So, I mean, it's one of those things where, you, you know, in, in, in context, he's not as bad as you might think he is. Maybe that's the way to say it. Uh, also, I've not read these, but I've heard this many times, and I believe it to be true. Uh, he apparently was one of the earliest Christians to write against Islam and against Muhammad as well, which I've not read any of those uh, treatises. I don't know if you have or not, but I know it's I know it to be true. Yeah, I, I, I'm not as uh, familiar with those works, although he is well known for that. Yeah, uh, it, it, the context of the conversation on divine images is really um, revolving around, in some ways, that particular conflict. Mm-hmm. So, and he, and he he served in. Uh, he served a caliphate, um, not religiously, but but in terms of being a servant. Um, so, yeah, th- there's a lot to say about John of Damascus. Yep. All right, so and we're not going to spend that much more time on him. So, uh, <laughs> 13th overall pick. I'm grateful. Uh, I didn't think he would fall into my lap this late in the draft. He is. Uh, he's my Tom Brady, you know. He's a seventh-round pick. You just keep thinking somebody's going to figure it out. Nobody does. Uh, although Tom Brady um, – we won't talk about that. We don't want to make our other friends uh, angry. John Chrysostom, 13th overall pick. Uh, he fell in the draft, man. That's a free fall. That's that's Aaron Rodgers falling the 24th pick in the 2005 draft. I mean, just really, really falling out there. Uh, John Chrysostom, uh, nicknamed Golden Mouth, which to me is like a great nickname and also just a really weird nickname. Um, he is uh, obviously one of the most creative and powerful preachers in the early church. I mean, you read uh, any of his homilies on anything and they're amazing. I mean, he's just uh, fantastic. Um, there's a little book that Lexham just put out called John Chrysostom on preaching. It's actually really, really good. It kind of talks through even some of his method and just how, how you see all of his, uh, theology and hermeneutics coming together in his homilies. So John Chrysostom, uh, is my 13th overall pick. He is my last, uh, last person. So you are given with the 14th pick, the last person in the uh, NBA lottery, the 14th pick, Jerome. 
great. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, he's he's at the bottom of my board, man. Here's the deal. Uh, I actually a minute ago panicked a little bit. I mean, not panic, but like I looked at my list and Jerome wasn't at my number 14 spot. Who'd you have? I had, I had written another name down. <laughs> I wrote Ephraim the Syrian down. Which we never talked about before this. Right, which we never talked about <laughs> just because I didn't want to write Jerome down anywhere. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, Jerome, you know, there's great. Hey, Jerome, you know, I think that actually if you go and read Jerome on translating uh, the Old Testament and particularly the Septuagint, um, he's actually instrumental in, in arguing for the Protestant canon over the, the Roman Catholic canon. So in terms of translation work, in terms of knowing Hebrew, he's an important figure. I, you know, I think that, um, number one, I just haven't read as much of Jerome as I have of these other folks. So that, that's part of the reason. Um, I also just always get the sense that he was a little bit overly combative about how he judged say Rufinus and then by extension origin. Yeah. Sort of thing. Um, I also just like the Eastern fathers, uh, apparently. So with Ephraim, that's another Eastern father. Um, and you know, other people that we could have put on here, Ambrose, mm-hmm. I probably Tim over <laughs> Jerome too. Well, you gave me Jerome's name when I said, who else should we add to the list? I, I felt like if we didn't include Jerome, people would be mad. Yeah, that's fair. Well, he did. He did translate the Bible into Latin. To be fair, that's a pretty big deal. Right, it is a big deal. Um, and like I said, that you know, that's that's really what I appreciate him for. Yeah. See, I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't. I didn't think about this as I decided to take the first pick that I would be leaving you with the last one. But I'm really grateful that I left you with Jerome because if he were on my team, he'd never play. I mean, well, just bench I warmer. Mean, he's on the bench. You know. I yeah. mean, John Damascus is my sixth man, and I'm, I'm happy about it. He'd be all right. All right, so let's, uh, let's, let's go back through one last time. All right, so my team is my starters, Athanasius, Irenaeus. How about, how about this? Give, give him a position. Oh, okay. All right, now i got to think about it. In basketball, we're doing our five yeah. starters? Yep. All right, so Athanasius is my point guard. Uh, he's my do-everything guy. He's my Magic Johnson. But, of course, like Magic, he can play center if he needs to, you know? So he's positionless in some ways. Uh, Irenaeus, Irenaeus is going to be, uh, my shooting guard. Okay. So he's going to have all the offense going to be going through him. Uh, you know, he's going to be setting a lot of people up. Uh, Gustin's going to be my, uh, he's going to be my three. He's going to be like my, uh, Kawhi Leonard do everything. Both ends of the, both ends of the floor. He's going to hustle. He's a little bit bigger than everybody else. He's going to bully some smaller guards. Uh, and then who do I have here? Cyril, uh, Cyril's my stretch four. Okay. He, he can get out a little bit. He's not, he's not one dimensional. He's not just putting his back to the basket. Uh, then Maximus, man, yeah, he's just holding it down at the center point of creation with his cosmic mystery at, at the center oh, position, man. man. Look at that. Just, I mean, this is all that was all that was all unplanned. Was that how, how great was that? That was unplanned. Great. Yep. He just dropped it. He's just an- anchoring down there in the paint. Who's your sixth man? Uh, my sixth man is Tertullian. Uh, great, you know, little, little, he gets you a little energy off the bench if you want to talk about marriage and monogamy and whether what uh, widows should get remarried. Tertullian's gonna come off and get some people fired up. Right. That's fair. And then Jerome's not gonna play. Well, not, I have Jerome. Oh, yeah, Jerome. John Oh, yeah, yeah, John Chrysostom. He's yeah. I'll, I'll find some. We'll find some minutes for John Chrysostom. Okay. All right. So I've got. Uh, let's see. I got to think about this for a second. All right. Hillary's my point guard. Okay. okay. 
No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm not changing my mind. I'm gonna make Gen- Genius my point guard. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so he knows what to do. He knows the offense well. He understands it, and he's also creative. He can make things happen if he needs to. So this is my point guard. Um, I'm gonna go with. I think I'm gonna go with Origin as my my uh, power forward. Okay. He'll knock some people around. He doesn't care. <laughs> Uh, he can he can do he can do things creatively under the under the rim, um, and then Genos MJ or LeBron whichever one you want. So I don't know basketball positions. Uh, Hillary's my what? They don't exist. Uh, basketball positions don't really exist anymore. So it's fine. Hillary's Hillary's my center, just because he's centered on what's right. Mm, mm. And knows where to be, knows where to stand, mm. knows how to block uh, problem texts, problem interpretations. And Basil's just doing work down at the uh, other forward position. I got John Damascus coming off the bench, and Jerome, unless somebody gets hurt, is going to sit there. <laughs> See, yeah, I was just thinking, like, John Chrysostom, he's at the end of my bench, but, like, you always need that bench guy that's just there to fire everybody up. Man, he just, like, knows what to say, when to say it. The thing about our bench, our bench players is that both. Uh, well, no, you have Tertullian as your six man, but with Chrysostom being like a preacher, Jerome is a little bit different. I was thinking about Jerome and Tertullian; like both of them can get angry real fast. That's you true. Know? Uh, so we've got people on our bench that can get everybody fired up. Yep. I, you know, uh, Jerome to me is like <laughs> I'm, I'm dogging on Jerome, too, <laughs> but, but the image I have of Jerome is like a player coach. He's never <laughs> actually going to play. <laughs> But he's over there telling everybody what to do. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Now, I mean, and you need that guy. We all need sure. that guy. Yeah, Tertullian, Tertullian for me, yeah, as the guy that's come off the bench to spark plug, I mean, he might come off and get you some instant offense. Or if you just need somebody to hack somebody, you need like a quick three hard fouls. Tertullian's your guy. Yep, for sure. All right. Well, that concludes the – we can't do an annual one because there's there's nobody to do this again. So. <laughs> Yeah, the the only the one time twenty twenty church grammar patristics fantasy draft. Right. What if we tried to do a medieval one? We both be like uh, Aquinas, <laughs> Anselm, maybe. Yeah, I think Anselm in there. Um, we have a three person draft. Red Burtis and Retrainus. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, there's a guy I was reading a while back. What's his name? I'm drawing a total blank now. That did some Revelation stuff. Oh, uh, Joe Your. Yeah, if you are, I was thinking fire, and I was like, fire's not right. Yeah, yeah. Had a little bit of that in there. Um, no, I'd pick him, man. He's crazy. Yeah. Well, he'd be your sixth man. He'd be great. I mean, that, nope. I wouldn't trust him. Like, he's got, I mean, it's just like Origin, just like Dennis Rodman, man. You, I mean, sometimes you got to let the guy go to Vegas and be crazy as long as he gets work done. You don't I'm, think he'll get work done? He's like Ron Artest. <laughs> like, he's just going to mess everything up. Ron Artest wanted to be Dennis Rodman, but wasn't uh, mentally, didn't have the mental uh, stability to do so. That is Joe Kimofior right there. <laughs> yeah, if we did, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to do a, a Reformation one, uh, maybe a medieval Reformation one at some point. But even, even for me, man, that really comes down to like, I mean, it's going to be hard to build a full seven on that for me. I don't like that that many of them that much. But there's some good, there's some good contributions in there. Yeah, some. All right. Well, Matthew, thank you. This was fun. If nobody else thinks it was fun, I told you in the text beforehand, like if this isn't fun, I don't know what fun is. Right. I mean, if people don't like sports and patristics, then I don't know what you're doing with your life. <laughs> well, I'm going to try to I'm going to try to end the title, clue people in to not listen if they're not interested in either one. Fair. 
All right, Matthew, thanks. They can't see you throwing the double deuces, but he's still oh, double deuces. Bye, Brandon. I love you. Thank you for having me on.